0: Episode 320 is telehealth versus in-person care. Like some kind of winner-takes-all cage fight? Today, I speak with Christian Molaster from Ingenium. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking.
1: Relentlessly seeking value. Stacey wants you to tell the story about the urologist. I Stacey. Hey, D, is, is this being recorded? Yep. Okay. My new urologist visited him the first time, and he talked to me, but he stayed on the other side of the room. He wasn't even close to me. And I thought as I left, well, why did I have to come in to meet him? I could have gotten the same information, and he could have gotten the same information from me, With a telehealth, a teleconference, we set up another appointment, and it was the same thing. We talked about different issues, issues that were relevant to me, but he he never touched me. It happened again the third time, and after the third time, I left. Some people say, as a Medicare recipient, that I should look forward to these conferences because it's part of my social life. Well, talking to a urologist from one side of the room to the other is fortunately way down on my need for social contacts. I have many other people that I prefer to talk to and that I don't have to drive 45 minutes to spend 10 minutes with a urologist who never touches me. If
0: I don't have to make a drive of 40 minutes one way to see a doctor, I am perfectly comfortable with using telehealth and would prefer, you know, prefer using telehealth unless it's an office visit that requires some kind of examination. When my knee is all swollen up, it would be rather hard to have a doctor actually ascertain what's going on by just seeing it over telehealth. There's certainly many times when, you know, you need to be there in person, but there's equally as many times when you don't have to be. And if I don't have to drive and I can get the same information via telehealth, I would prefer doing that. So that was my mom and dad. They are not and have never been healthcare professionals. But they fully get that the question, in air quotes, what's better, telehealth or in-person care, asked like it's some kind of winner-takes-all cage fight, doesn't serve anybody's needs. And by anybody, I mean clinicians or the patient. And by patient, I mean even Medicare Advantage patients in their late 70s. Today, I'm speaking with Christian Molaster from Ingenium. Christian worked at Mayo for 12 years before starting his consulting firm specializing in many aspects of telehealth. He has a great newsletter, by the way. I've appreciated subscribing to it. It's called Telehealth Tuesday. I would recommend it. Christian says telehealth is a clinical tool. That's why there's no answer to the question of whether in-person is better than virtual. It's like asking whether, you know, what's better, an x-ray, a CT scan, or an MRI? Or like, what's better, a daily blood pressure test at home or one super fancy EKG a year? I guess telehealth could also be considered maybe a setting of care. Christian probably wouldn't agree with me. Either way, few people sit around pitting exam room six against the one on the fourth floor with the extra wide doorway. So let's not even talk about this. We're over it. The relevant questions to be asking about telehealth would be, what's the best clinical workflow, patient journey, clinical pathway for X kind of patient or for this patient? The tools that we choose to use or the care setting we choose should be a function of the best care plan for the patient. Like you figure out the care plan first. It's just like you figure out what surgery someone needs and then you stock the OR. It would be super weird to do it the other way around. You know, neurosurgeon walks into OR. Hey, what's this knee replacement doing here? You get my drift. What's the why? You might be asking if I'm a provider and I'm kind of like the urologist that my father fired the other day, you know, and I'm thinking I'm just going to require all of my patients to come into my office all the time because that's the way I've always done it and I kind of like it. Well, let me refer you to the article written by Jane Saracen Khan the other day entitled Virtual Health Tech enables the continuum of health from hospital to home. This article is great and talks about a bunch of things, but here's a quote I particularly liked. The demand for telehealth, that's in brackets, will impact every segment of care delivery and sponsor, including small to mid-sized physician practices, employers, behavioral slash mental health, public slash government-sponsored health plans, and the pharma and life science industries. She is talking about demand post-pandemic, by the way. Let me put a finer point on this. You know who is most likely, besides my father, to fire a doctor who doesn't know how to incorporate telehealth into his or her treatment pathway? Yes, exactly. Educated, working-aged people. People with commercial insurance. The people that health systems and doctors are always trying to attract because favorable payer mix. So there's that. One more thing before I turn the floor over to the interview with Christian Melaster, I just wanted to call out something that matters, especially right now. I recently saw a post by Joe Kvidar on LinkedIn about how digital inclusion is actually a social determinant of health. The post referenced an article by Jill Castek and Cynthia Seek, amongst others. We'll link to it in the show notes. But the point of it was that, you know, sometimes people have spoken about telehealth being the solution to rural health issues, you know, access issues or people who have to, you know, work three jobs and or those who have transportation issues. The problem is that it's exactly these people who may not have internet access or may have less digital literacy. So exactly the people that, at least originally, telehealth was supposed to serve are exactly the people that are having trouble taking advantage of it. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Christian Melaster, welcome to Relentless Health Value.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Cutting to the chase, what's the biggest, you know, hashtag fail, what's the biggest mistake that you see provider organizations making right now relative to how they are either rolling out telehealth or just conceiving of the whole concept?
2: There's a lot of people that just got hung up on this notion that all the exceptions for reimbursements that were put into place in the wake of the COVID-19 health crisis are just temporary and will go away or could go away. And that is just uh, simply uh, half informed.
0: Effectively, what you're saying is happening. You have some organizations who are like, eh, this is a blip in the continuum. And the second that COVID goes away, telehealth is going to go away. Therefore, why should I, like, you know, whatever, we'll just use our, you know, MacGyvered whatever. <laughs> to do some telehealth visits right now while we have to. And then we're going to throw this away anyway.
2: Yeah, obviously, the impetus uh, to do telehealth and telemedicine was very strong to protect uh, our staff, to protect our clinicians and just still provide access to care. And you're right, uh, McIver, like everybody, just scrambled together (laughs) some uh, video chat technology that was laying around. And so, yes, as people scrambled, put it together and everybody thought it was a stopgap measure, that it was just a blip on the radar. And yes, the volumes went back down again. But what people are now realizing is that telehealth is here to stay. It's a modality that uh, the modern healthcare consumer wants. It's something that really can provide better access to care, can lead to better outcomes if wielded as a clinical tool.
0: Let me ask you this. Why is that the case? Like, all right, so we've got, I forget what it is now, 8% of the visits currently are, are telehealth visits. I could, as an organizational leader, be thinking to myself, that's not really worth Investing in? Like, I got big fish to fry here, and this isn't one of them. What's the downside to not contemplating telehealth? Or maybe it is here to stay, but whatever. We've got the technology s- stack, we've got that set up. If somebody wants to do telehealth, they can do telehealth. Like, we're all good. Like, why do I need to invest more?
2: There's a parallel healthcare ecosystem that is opening up that is now uh, existing in parallel to our traditional healthcare system. That- what we're now seeing is uh, new players, uh, virtual only new players entering the market with Mwell, with Teladoc, and now with Amazon Care or Walmart Health or healthcare.bestbuy.com. And so the concern that I have is uh, we need that backbone system of the American healthcare delivery and the modern healthcare consumer who is busy, who has uh, maybe multiple jobs or a lot of family responsibilities, they don't want to take three hours out of the day to have a 30-minute physician visit and uh, rather would like to do it from home, which only takes them 20, 30 minutes. Even the payers are promoting it. And so for an organization to say, yeah, this is not big and this this will go away. And most of our physicians really don't think it's good medicine either. That is, I think, uh, very short-sighted.
0: What this all is starting to remind me of is the three legged stool that you have spoken about. And telehealth services is one leg on that three legged stool. The other two being outpatient services and inpatient
2: services. If you think of the analogy of a three legged stool is that if one leg is too short or non-existent, the stool will fall over. (laughs) So traditionally, inpatient uh, integrated delivery networks were starting out with inpatient services hospital centric, and then they acquired outpatient services, merged with outpatient services. And that was the next wave here over the last 10, 15 years. A lot of integration has been done. And now it's time to think about the the virtual care world, the telehealth, telemedicine world as the third leg of a three legged stool. Now, granted, they, they can both be inpatient and outpatient services can leverage telemedicine and virtual care services. You can do virtual rounding on the hospital floor. You can have a telestroke evaluation in the ED. And then you can have pre-scheduled appointments and you can have behavioral health. But it's really what I advise organizations on is, is they got to put that on their organizational chart as well. So there's people responsible for the outpatient services. There's people responsible for the inpatient services. And there's a medical and operational leadership that is responsible for the virtual care services.
0: The whole telehealth services is becoming a new competitive battleground with new entrants in the market. You know, in the past, we were geographically constrained. So competition was, you know, the health system down the street you're tussling with to gain patients from. Now the competitive battlefield has kind of widened way open. You know, we've got Amazon, we've got other competitors who are coming in, looking to eat somebody's lunch. So it, similarly to how the fight used to have been for inpatients or for outpatient services, you know, now there's a battle over telehealth. And it, if it's a three-legged stool, is it a third of the business that's up for grabs?
2: Well, I think it could be. Again, we know uh, that traditionally there's uh, typically there's some service lines that are much more uh, contributing to the bottom line uh, than, than others. And so in, in virtual care can be one of them. But it's also to some extent it now has become a a me too or or keeping up with the joneses kind of offering and as you just said it, i mean the competition is uh, there we mentioned amazon care teladoc amwell and amwell is working with healthcare organizations but there's no more geographic boundaries now state medical boards have tried to limit in, in terms of where you can practice medicine and, but there's uh, compacts that are being formed and uh, the licensing process in multiple states is now becoming uh, more streamlined and so so that's that competitive advantage of that only physicians that are in licensed in your state can practice uh, medicine to your patients. And that one is is going away. What is also interesting is that uh, about a year and a half ago, the Cleveland Clinic teamed up with Mwell to form audaciously called The Clinic <laughs> and, and launched that. But uh, that is exactly what I, what I told people eight years ago. I said uh, nobody is preventing a Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic to put a billboard on that on the entrance of your 15,000 resident uh, town saying, you can now see a Cleveland Clinic Specialist from the comfort of your home. And that's exactly what we're seeing and we should be seeing. I mean, the access to these specialty care services are very critical. What I'm concerned about is that it's the young, healthy, affluent people that usually provide a very represent a very lucrative patient, meaning one that you don't lose money on, but actually you make some money on. And if these patients are going somewhere else to get their standard run of the mill healthcare services where you still have profitability that messes with your business model because you don't have that profitability service anymore. And so that's, I think, why it's just imperative that uh, health systems invest in, in group physician practices and PT practices and dentists that. They all invest in these services because every specialty now has uh, designated virtual only telemedicine uh, service startups uh, popping up uh, everywhere.
0: Who is most likely to embrace telehealth are the people who can afford the equipment and the bandwidth and, you know, the Internet connectivity to effectively do telehealth. And that's going to be your commercial lives, your employed lives, which are the the ones that are really, they're an important part of the payer mix, let's just say.
2: These companies are now going to be training the the millennials and the 20, 30 something year olds or the, the young parents that have experienced uh, telepediatric care and said, why would I ever want to drag my three kitten ch- kids into the minivan? <laughs> if the local healthcare care providers are not giving me that option, then uh, <laughs> DrGoogle.com will tell me where I can get my next telemedicine visit for $45 or even um, as as under my health insurance plan.
0: One of the things that you've said, and frankly, I've been on it like white on rice lately, is the idea that technology is really only part of the equation. And you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about the the org chart, you know, like you can't just stand up telehealth and call it good. Like you need people like who's going to staff it. You need workflow. You need to figure out the how and the when and the where and the why and the how. Yes. If I'm a provider organization, what's my first step here as I contemplate how I'm going to make telehealth you know, a third leg on my actual stool.
2: Well, the first notion is that is is to really wrap your mind around that paradigm shift that telehealth is a clinical tool. It's an opportunity, it's, it's a tool, uh, it's a mechanism you provide for your clinicians that they can wield as they see fit to deliver care in the right way possible. Just like you give them access to x-rays and MRIs and CT scans and they decide which tool is the right one to help them in the diagnosis or in the treatment or in the management of their care? And by the same extension, telehealth is a clinical tool that a physician can decide to use or not to use. But to your point here, we can come back to that notion of the quality of uh, telehealth. I've been actually in the business of improving service delivery for over 33 years uh, outside of healthcare before I joined healthcare 20 years ago. And the first third, I was in love with technology. I thought technology was the solution to everything. Then I learned at the Mayo Clinic that it's about clinical workflow and about workflow and the service workflow. The really hard work where I need to put 50, 60, 70% of my efforts in is in the organizational change management. And that has to do with the workflow design. That has to do with really understanding what do clinicians want? What experience do they want for themselves? What experience they want for the patient? What kind of data you want to have at your fingertips? uh, What kind of data do you want to collect? Where do you want to store it? So all this, um, when you really think about telehealth as a clinical tool, it totally shifts your perspective as to how you view this. Because right now it's still seen as a technology that the CIO or the IT team decides that, uh, uh, which technology to use, and then they make it available, and then it's take it or leave it. And uh, yes, and then organization is missing out if they're not. Really focusing on that organizational change management and the clinical workflow design.
0: I suppose that this is all part of organizational change management, which you've mentioned is essential. You know, whenever you get a new tool, especially one which, if you use it, is going to change the workflow, it's going to be essential that as an organization, there's a set of, there's a playbook at hand. So that everybody knows what they're doing relative to that tool. Like I could just imagine just saying, okay, we can do telehealth is going to just throw everybody's workflow into disarray. And then you're going to have very disgruntled physicians. You're going to have disgruntled patients because it's just not going to work
2: so well. Exactly. And a lot of organizations struggled. They thought slap a webcam on the monitor and give them a, a Zoom license and uh, you're in business. And that's telehealth. And what people uh, f- forgot to uh, prepare for is, well, what about the scheduling and rescheduling? And how do you room a patient in a virtual environment? How you take their vital signs? Uh, how do you make sure that their technology is working, that their environment is well lit or quiet? I mean, all these other aspects. And so that's what uh, we worked on with a lot of organizations is to take a look at that whole workflow from from scheduling and, and tele-rooming and then what happens when you're done with a visit? In an in-person visit, you go to the checkout and you schedule your next appointment and you get the referral form and you get a lab test or a lab order or things of that nature. So all of that needs to be recreated in a virtual environment. And that's a part of clinical workflow. And it's part of organizational change management because you only discover these things when you engage your users. And that includes the nurses and the schedulers and the receptionists. Everybody involved in the in-person care experience needs to be involved and play a role in the virtual care experience as well. And by their involvement, you build the buy-in and you get some great solutions. And that's what makes organizational change management, the rollout, so much easier because there's much less frustration, there's much less resistance. There's a lot of engagement and support uh, for it.
0: And what do the organizations that do this well, what does the patient flow look like?
2: So, for example, one scenario that I've seen implemented is that uh, at the appointment time, I get a call from the nurse. Hey, Christian, are you ready for Dr. Jones? And I say, "Yep, I'm ready. Okay. What's your chief complaint right well she doesn't ask that but what's on your mind and then do you have any vital signs you want to share right maybe weight or blood pressure caffeine. some people have that at home and uh, okay i see here you're on these medications uh, do you have any known allergies kind of similar questions that are being asked and I said okay i see dr jones is wrapping up so uh, you sort of received an email with a link to the video room can you click on it okay you okay, i see you in there all right dr jones will be with you here in a few minutes And then we had a similar process at at the reverse. So that was a a very nice recreation, just giving very simplistic video chat tools to recreate that uh, patient process. And it was done by an organization that had been doing telemedicine since uh, the early 2010, so 2012 or 13. And uh, and nowadays there's uh, actually telemedicine platforms that enable that workflow where you can actually get on video with a nurse and then the nurse can put you in a waiting room. And then from the waiting room, you get picked up by the physician and so that's when we now have technology available to facilitate this workflow and to recreate a great care experience that is similar to and yields the same outcomes as a an in-person visit.
0: So if we're trying to make the business case for telehealth and really integrating it within a practice, you know, like really thinking through and spending some time to create a workflow around the best, you know, optimizing this tool for both patient outcomes, the quadruple aim, let's just say. How do most people contemplate how telehealth is going to help integrate in the strategy or or how telehealth is going to achieve some objective? Like how do they think about this strategically?
2: There's really two points that I want to touch on here is A, that telehealth, as I mentioned earlier, is a clinical tool for clinicians, but it's also a strategic tool for the leadership of any healthcare organization. And also, then we need to talk about the uh, ROI of telehealth as well.
1: How do we get that return on investment, especially if we want to look beyond
2: fee for service reimbursement? And so to the first point in the initial years of uh, working on telehealth and telemedicine implementations, yes, I was very focused on the workflow, organization change management. And then one day I had a conversation with the CEO and we were just uh, and he shared with me their uh, typical strategic plan across the five, six pillars of uh, service and quality people community. I was looking at the strategic objectives and I said, oh, Telehealth can help here. It can expand your geographic reach. Oh, recruitment. Oh, telehealth can help you because people want to work in an organization that is innovative and and forward thinking. Oh, you want to increase telecommuting? Well, telehealth can help because physicians can work from home. And so what I discovered at that moment and we've just done it for a client is that out of their 40 strategic objectives of their strategic plan for the next years, I think we had 35 or 36 objectives where telehealth or connected health at a larger scale could really move the needle into the right direction as a tool to help achieve those strategic objectives and that's really what uh, the best organizations are now doing once they have telehealth established and they have the different technologies and everything is they realize that uh, look we can leverage telehealth and telemedicine to achieve our strategic objectives of growth and being a steward of the community and improving our finances and improving outcomes that really was that first insight
0: so basically, if you've got service, you've got quality, you've got people, you've got finance, you've got growth, and you have community as the typical six pillars of healthcare strategy that most people use, if you contemplate each one of those and then you think about the capability of telehealth, you can yeah. connect that dot.
2: Right. Yeah. Just give you an example, right? People, and I just mentioned that example uh, before, people want to attract and, re- and retain talent. So, how do you do that? Well, you say we're really taking telehealth and connected health seriously. We've invested in it and we give you opportunities. Now, it's become more a level playing field because after COVID here, everybody jumped on it. But before COVID, that was a real distinguishing factor. Uh, the other thing is that telehealth gives us an opportunity to, to redesign the workflow of the care delivery experience. Like I explained earlier, who does the telerooming and the post-processing? and so one of the things you can do with uh, this technology is to really redesign the care delivery workflow so that physicians can practice on top of the license and that's what a lot of clinicians want they want they don't want the administrative work they want the paperwork they don't want to deal with the technology they want to come into the room see the patient take a look at the data make a clinical decision and then move on to the next patient and so telehealth can be used as an opportunity to redesign that experience. And those are just two examples out of that people pillar that a lot of organizations have on their strategic plan.
0: You know, a lot of what has been said about telehealth, especially what we were talking about before, that if you've got this hybrid model, which tends to work the best, I think most are coming to realize that it maybe presumes a value-based environment Or does it not really matter? You know, like how the provider is being reimbursed, does that factor into this strategic objective conversation? Or is it like either way is fine?
2: It does just because it's so on top of everybody's mind, as we talked about earlier, right, is that organizations are hesitant to make their investment into telehealth to build it out further just because they can't really read the crystal ball around telehealth reimbursement. And so, yes, a lot of it is about the fee for service reimbursement. Can I get reimbursed for the service? And then will I get reimbursed a dollar for dollar? I was just talking to a medical director of a large academic medical center that's been doing telehealth really well. And they said, she said that the leadership said, well, we we don't really want to continue doing much telemedicine because we're missing out on the facility fee, to which she said, well, maybe it's time to get rid of the facilities. (laughs) So (laughs) because if there's no facilities, then then you don't need a facility fee. Right. So uh, things are not going to change overnight. But it's, it's really looking at. If and when we are in a value based environment where I, as a clinician, can just say, "Okay, I want to video chat this person every day and I want to asynchronously text with them to make sure that in this week after this incident, they really recover in the right way. And I'm not going to be hampered by that. I can only have one visit every 36 hours or every 72 hours for the same condition or any other of the rules that are meant to cost contain but when it's really about the outcomes and it's about value based care or it's about population health management when i can just wield uh, telemedicine and the number of visits and interactions as a clinical tool that's really what we need to be uh, moving toward and thinking about and that's that's definitely one roi model that for example applies to uh, accountable care organizations
0: and it is interesting that i have interviewed a number of individuals who are excelling at value-based care. And I think the one thing that they all have in common at their organizations is a long time use and understanding of telehealth and virtual care. To the extent that it almost seems like, especially in the the advanced primary care models, that it is a must-have. You can achieve and the value-based care aims without deploying some level of, of telehealth or having it as an option.
2: Yes, absolutely. Because it's a mechanism where you can reach patients and, and stay in touch with them. And uh, as I always like to say, for patients to get care when they need it, where they want it. And so oftentimes uh, taking care of your own health is not something that uh, a lot of us are really willing to do unless it really is painful, but that maintenance and that we know and the preventive care that's so important and the more convenient and easy we can make it. And uh, uh, concierge physicians have practiced that uh, for a long time because they, they they call up their patients and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life, right? They And they're on top of things and they don't worry about the increased uh, touch points or the additional time that they spend And they've used a telephone as a telemedicine vehicle uh, in the past years to deliver concierge care because they get that additional income that allows them to take care of patients. So, yes, telemedicine has definitely uh, is vital for value based care. It's vital for better patient outcomes.
0: Who should call you for help?
2: We serve, we operate on both sides of the aisle, as I always like to say. We work uh, very closely with health delivery organizations, health systems, physician practices, behavioral health agencies, FQHCs, to really help them to get the most value out of telehealth and telemedicine. And for some, it's a strategy and a roadmap. Uh, For some, it's... uh, Figuring out what is the right technology solution or figuring out just uh, how do I measure my telehealth performance. The other side of the aisle is then a digital health company and telemedicine uh, company that are moving into the telehealth space and then telemedicine services startups as well as telemedicine technology, startups.
0: And if someone is interested, where can they go for more information?
2: They can find us on the internet at ingeniumdigitalhealth.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Christian Malaster is my name and uh, very happy to connect and have a chat with anybody who would like to talk about the things that we covered today.
0: Christian Malaster, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today.
2: Thank you for having me. It was really enjoyed the conversation and the breadth that we've covered here.